I believe that if you apply what I have to teach you today, this will be a life-changing message for you. I believe if you put into action what we're talking about, this could be that final step for so many people to begin to live the life they feel like they were created for. That's the good news. I always like to start with the good news. The bad news is the large majority of you won't do anything with what I teach you today. That's just the reality of being a teacher. They say about 9% of the people who listen to any teaching on a Sunday morning retain and put into action what it is they're taught. You'll want to put it into action. It'll sound really, really good while I'm teaching it. I know it's a bunch of white folks out there today, but you'll even want to verbally amen during the message at points today. You'll try to act like you got a little bit of soul, but it won't it'll fall flat. You'll be excited. And as I teach and you're excited, there'll be a voice in the back of your head giving you excuses on why you can't do what we're teaching today. That little voice coming up with all the reasons why, man, that sounds really damn good, but, man, that, that don't necessarily work in my life. Hey, I get what you're teaching, and I get that it's the Bible, and I get that so many people have put that into place, but, man, for me, that's probably not going to work. And here's why. My situation is just different. I always like it. I've been doing this gig now for about 25 years. And I always like when someone comes up to me and says, hey, you probably never dealt with a situation like this. And I think to myself, I have been the pastor of the crazy church in Canton, Georgia for 18 years. I've been pastoring for 25 years. Trust me, there's nothing you're going to tell me that's going to freak me out. If you do tell me something that freaks me out, Ooh, we're going to be in bad shape, but we're going to figure it out together. Excuses. Every time we set out to make a change in any area of our life, the number one thing that we battle is the excuse on why we can't do that, and far be it for me to say, but so many times excuses win, and we stay the same. Starting a new series today called I Quit. Some of you, when I posted this yesterday, were hoping and praying that I was quitting. we got four more weeks in this series. You never know what's going to happen. I've been begging God for 10 years to let me quit. Tanya May told me today that I can't quit. He said if I quit that the next week everyone would just show up and I'll have to show up because no one else can deal with this crazy place and y'all can't deal with anybody but me and I can't deal with anyone you. It's kind of like this hodgepodge marriage that we're in. I quit. Today I want to talk to you about quit making excuses. I am convinced with everything that is in me, the life that you so desire, the life of victory, the life of living with meaning, the life of fulfilling the purpose that you have in your life is simply one step away. And the one step away is eliminating the excuses on why you can't do that. We love excuses. 
We love to talk about why we can't do something. If I was to ask you today this question, what do you hope to be different in your life? We'd get a hundred different answers. But the reality is, is there's not a person here today who doesn't have some aspect of their life that they know they want it to be different. They look around and they want that aspect to be different. It might be that you look around and look at the relationships in your life and you're like, man, I need better relationships. I need better people in my circle. The person that I'm dating, the person that I'm in an intimate relationship with, I need someone different. It might be a physical thing. So many of us are like, man, the thing that is so frustrating to me is my physical appearance. I want to get my body in shape. I want to eat right. I want to work out. I I want to be healthy for my kids. I want to be healthy for my grandchildren. I want to be healthy where where I can um, function in life as I get older. I don't want to deal with a lot of the ailments that a lot of people have. We're driving through the parking lot yesterday at the grocery store. This old man gets out of the car, and he's got his shorts tucked into his underwear, and he doesn't realize it. And Christine said, uh, you think he knows he's got his shorts tucked into his underwear? I said, well, I don't, I don't think so, because I think if he knew that, he'd probably do something about it. She said, well, we need to do something about it. I said, well, what are we supposed to do about it? Walk up to him and pull his under—I mean, his shorts out of his underwear. I said, "Or you just want to walk up to him and say, hey, sir, you don't know me, but your shorts are tucked into your underwear.'" And I have to admit, it kind of impacted me—the shorts and the underwear thing. Because I thought, man, when I get older, I don't want to be walking through Ingles on my shorts and my underwear because I haven't taken care of myself. And you could tell it wasn't all there, and you could tell the guy had lived a rough life and. It got me thinking as I get older, the more I need to take care of myself. And then I can tell you all the excuses. Like I love ice cream and brownies and cake, fried chicken, cathead biscuits and waffles and pancakes. And I do not like vegetables. Don't know why God would make vegetables. It's going to be one of the questions I ask him when I get to heaven. And why, if they're good for you, do they have to taste so nasty? I don't understand it. And I do like some vegetables. I mean, like if you take okra and you fry it, I like that. Someone says that's bad for you. I feel like, why, though, is it bad for you? I feel like, if anything, it should be neutral. The fried and the healthy part of the okra should just outweigh each other, and it should be a zero on the scale. Not good or bad. And you should be able to eat all the fried okra you want. But I can come up with excuses all day. I hate going to the gym. I despise it. I go every morning, and I hate it. I hate people at the gym. If you've ever seen me at the gym, you know that I'm telling the truth. I'm, I am a totally rude person. At the gym. Don't talk to me at the gym. It's 5 o'clock in the morning. I don't want to be here at the gym. I don't want to talk to you at the gym. I don't want you to watch you take a selfie at the gym. I don't want to watch you sweat at the gym. And ladies, I don't want to, like, why do you put perfume on to go to the gym? Makes my head hurt. I hate the gym. 
The people at our gym are trained that when you walk in to be very friendly, I have trained them do not talk to me when I walk in. And they don't. I hate the gym. Christine, my wife, knows do not talk to me at the gym. Do not smile at me at the gym. I hate the gym. And I can tell you all the reasons why I want to get in shape better. But man, I got lots of good excuses. Maybe you want to get your finances in order. You're tired of living paycheck to paycheck. You're tired of struggling in that area. You think you have a money problem, but what you really have is a spending problem. You begin to take the steps to get your money in order, and then, man, all the excuses come up. You're not going to eat out for a couple of weeks, but then you convince yourself, man, you deserve to get to eat out. And we're right back in that rut of paycheck to paycheck. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on and on all day long. Maybe, maybe you want to use the gifts that God has given you to make a difference in someone's life. You know that God has birthed a vision inside of you, something that is bigger than just you. You know that it's the thing that would leave you fulfilled and full of passion. But every time you step out to do it, man, the excuse is coming. They tell you, man, you're not good enough to do that. Who are you to think that you can do that? Maybe you've had a dream in your life or your career. You want to, to leave your nine-to-five job for years and go out and start something, and you're excited about it, and you've been planning it, and you've been thinking about it all day long or all year long or your whole life long, and right before you do all the excuses, come out and excuses will paralyze us. Excuses will justify us staying the same way. Excuses put us into freeze mode. And what happens is, is we become comfortable in our discomfort. And our discomfort becomes normal to us. And we now live a life of losing and we think that is normal because the reality is, is we watch everyone else and they're losing at life too. So this must be normal. We live in a society that has accepted living life less than what they were created for. We live in a society that has has accepted that relationships are just less than they should be. It's like it's almost more popular to complain about our relationships than to brag on our relationships. Oh, did I say that? Mm. Yeah. We would rather complain every day about our job than stepping out in faith and doing something we love with our life. I'd rather complain every night about how, man, I have heartburn and I can't sleep and, man, my belly gets in the way when I'm trying to roll over than to, man, take an hour a day and actually do something about it. Complaining just becomes natural and the excuses fuel the complaining. But the reality is, is no matter how much we make excuses, no matter how much we settle in life, there's this little voice inside of us that lets us know all the time you were created for more than what you're experiencing. You begin to watch people who are doing more. 
you get excited about what they're doing and they begin to motivate you. But then what happens is, is the excuses set in and we explain away why they're able to do what they can do. They had a, a break in life. Well, if I had their situation, I could do the same thing. No, you couldn't because you're an excuse maker. If you had every situation just like they did and everything lined up just like they did, you still wouldn't do anything because at the end of the day, you allow excuses to keep you from being what God wants you to be. If you want to look for an excuse, you'll find an excuse. If you want justification on why not to live the life you were created for, it is easy to find. Because here's what I've learned in life. It is easy to settle. And we do it all the time. Especially the older that we get. The older that we get, we convince ourselves that it's too late to make changes. I'm 47 years old. And it's easy for me to convince myself that it's too late. But the reality is, if I live normal, what they say 74 is the average age of most men, that's almost 30 more years of living. That's 75% of what I've already lived. That's a long time. Why would I want to settle and live the next 30 years of my life missing out on what could be because I have excuses to stay where I am? I saw something recently and it said, the largest group of entrepreneurs in the world are those over 55 years old. The kids move out. They're coming to the end of the career they had. And they realize, man, I don't want to now live life just going through the motions. I want to live life doing what I was created for. So they begin to step out and do those things. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down. Here's one of the problems in setting goals in life. As soon as I decide to be different, Satan gives me excuses to stay the same. As soon as I decide to be different, Satan gives me excuses to stay the same. As soon as you step out and say, man, my relationship is going to be different than other people's relationship, then Satan comes along and tells you why it can't be. As soon as you step out and say, man, I'm going to get my finances in order because I'm sick of being enslaved to debt and I want to live the life I was created for and I'm not going to allow my finances to hold me back, Satan comes along and says, no, no, I'm going to give you all the excuses why you should stay the same. As soon as you step out in the physical area, as soon as you step out and decide, man, my relationship with my children is going to be different than the relationship I had with my parents, or it's going to be different than the relationship that the people I hang out with have with their children, Satan will come along and tell you why it won't be that way. The older I get and the more my kids get older, I find it very hard to be around other parents. Because we just decided a long time ago we were going to raise our kids different. Our kids don't call the shots in our house. They don't, they don't get to tell us how it's going to be. Luke had his first get in trouble this week. He's in sixth grade. The school called. He gets that from Christine. Talking in class. Poking some little girl in class. 
gets that from Christine. Teacher gets on to him. And I don't know, he makes some comment about he don't need to pay attention. He's passing this class in his sleep or something like that. I don't remember what it said. Something arrogant. Something cocky. Something that he got from Christine. <laughs> and he comes home. And I had friends tell me, oh, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal to us. Because we've taught him not to be disrespectful to other people. It's a big deal to us. There's consequences for his actions. Luke is my child with another woman, and so we have to bring her over. She's Luke's her only child, and so Luke can do no wrong in her world. And so I decide we're all going to be together, and I'm going to take over the conversation because she's a pushover. And before I can take over the conversation, Christine takes over the conversation, and we just sit there and listen. So this is one of the first times my ex-wife, she has a guy, he's a good dude, I like him a lot, he's been around now three or four years, so it's probably time to bring him in and let him, he ain't part of anything, but it's time to let him feel like he is, you know what I mean? And I watched that man sit on that couch, and Christine's laying the smack down to Luke, and I watched the color come out of this guy's face. And I watched his jaw drop. And as eyes get about this big, and he seemed a little scared because we parent a little bit different. I wasn't out there, but Misty happened to be at our house that time, and she was in the garage, and they didn't know that Misty was in the garage. And I guess they walked outside, and this guy, his name's Daniel, he looked at Alayda, and he's like, oh, Christine's scary. We just parent different. But it's funny, every time you decide you're going to be different in the way you parent, man, that little voice starts giving you excuses, oh man, just a kid. You know what the excuse I, that popped in my head the minute he was doing it? I got to be honest with you, I kind of wanted to laugh about what he said. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you, I did laugh about what he said. I just didn't laugh in front of him. And when I wanted to punish him, that little voice in my head said, he made it to sixth grade. You got thrown out of school in third grade. He ain't doing anything that you didn't do as a kid. And the excuses, when I started thinking about him being punished and he was going to have to miss a, a, a big get-together for the football team, and, man, I started feeling guilty. He's going to get his phone taken from him, and I started feeling bad about that. And all the excuses on why there shouldn't be a punishment start popping in my head. And I had to step back and breathe for a minute and remind myself, how would my life be different if maybe I was punished when I got in trouble in third grade? I don't want him to grow up and go through some of the same things I've went through in my life. So while I did those things, and while I'm not stupid, he's going to do things, there's going to be consequences for the things he does. But it's funny, man. You get up and you decide you're going to do something different, the excuses start to set in. There's a great story in Luke 14 captures the epitome of excuses to me. The Bible says, a certain, man, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Picture this, this guy's 
picturing a big banquet. Banquets were a very big deal in that time. People from all over would come, and they would celebrate. Sometimes they would celebrate for days. We don't know what the man was celebrating. It doesn't say that. But he was preparing this great banquet, and he invited many people. He probably invited everybody in town to come. I'm throwing this great party. I'm throwing this great banquet. I want all of you to come and celebrate whatever it is he was celebrating with them. At the time of the banquet, he sent out his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for it's now ready. So he sends out invites. And then he follows up and says, hey, he sent those invites out, man, it's it's time. The party is ready to happen. But they all alike begin to make excuses. Man's throwing a great banquet. He's invited everyone. And the people that he invites begins to come up with excuses on why they can't come. I took note of some of these excuses because if you invite me to your house, I'm probably not coming. And I'm going to use some of these excuses in the future. I like the one guy said, he said, I just bought a field. I need to go see it. Because you always buy a field that you've never seen. <laughs> I'd like to come. I just bought this field. and I got to go see that field. Another guy said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I need to go try them out. I bought, I bought these animals. I don't even know if they can do what I bought them for. I better go try them out. That'd be like, hey, Gary, can you come up for dinner, man? Thanks. Hey, I bought this truck, and I got to see if it cranks. I didn't think about cranking it before I bought it. Just excuses. I, 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 you, you probably find this shocking, but I'm not a farm boy. I know, shocker. I don't even really know how you try out five yoke of oxen. But I'm smart enough to know that uh, you try them out. Now, the only guy to me that had a valid excuse was the third guy, and all the men can relate to this. He said, man, I just got married, and I can't come. He knew. He knew his days of going to parties was over when he got married. Like, he, he said, I ain't even going to ask the wife if I can come. The answer's no. I just got married, and I cannot come. And immediately, as these people begin to receive their invitations, excuse after excuse, came in, and those people are just like us. I'd like this to be different in my life, but I tried it last year and the year before and the year before, and nothing is really different, so why bother? And we allow our failures in the past to paralyze us in the present. Man, I'd love to step out and do this, and it's something that I have a passion about, but man, I, I'm just not good enough at it. I, I'd like to do that, but man, there's so many other people, and they're, they're better at it than me anyway, so why should I focus on this? I'd like this, and, and then we come with excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. And the excuses hinder us from living the life we were created for. They say when someone sets out to change some aspect of their life, again, maybe it's their weight, maybe it's their finances, maybe it's their relationships, maybe it is I'm going to get up every day and get more into the Bible, maybe it's, man, I'm going to take at least one time a week and I am going to help somebody who can't give me anything in return for my help. They say that all the goals that we set, that 40% of those goals, 
we will have failed at and quit on within a month. Within a month. Man, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and 40% of us within a month, we back off those, and decisions that we made are already gone. According to that same study, 45 days in, so only 15 days later, a month and a half in, 75% of people who have good ideas about some area of their life they want to change, 75% will have quit on that goal. 75%. So then we look around at society and we look around at everybody around us and we say, man, it is just normal to settle. Well, of course it is because 75% of people can't go 45 days in their goal setting. It's really not hard to live an extraordinary life when ordinary is so common. You get past that 45-day mark, you begin to see the results in the extraordinary life that you're living and the life change that happens and the results from the goal and you begin to realize, man, I'm actually winning at what I set out to do. But we immerse ourselves in the 75% who are just quitting. And then here's what's bad. Not only do we set out on our goals, but everyone around us will discourage us with our goals. I'm going to get my health in order. Why? Well, I don't know, you fat ass, or I don't look like you maybe. That's what I want to say. So that's not very pastoral. Like, well, welcome to Action Church. Like, you ever notice that? Man, I want to get my finances in order. I work too hard not to spend money like I want to spend. The problem is you're not spending money. You have your studying credit you don't have. My life, my rules. Well, how are your rules working out for you, buddy? YOLO! You only live once. You do only live once. But man, you're on this earth a long time. Christine and I were talking yesterday about areas of our life before we were together. Those seem like so long ago, I can't even comprehend that it was me. We were talking about a relationship I was in for 13 years. 13 years is a long time. I've now been out of that relationship for going on 15 years. I remember very little about those 13 years. Not because it was so terrible, not because it was so horrible, not because I blocked it out. It just seems like a different life ago. I don't remember. I do good to remember yesterday. Man. So you only live once, but what I've learned is you only live once, but you live many lives in that one life. If you knew me 10 years ago, you don't know me today. If you knew me 20 years ago, you don't know me today. It's funny to me, social media reconnects people. So I'm reconnected with lots of people I went to high school with. And it's weird to me to run into people that bring up, man, you remember in high school when bam, bam, bam? I'm like, no. I never thought you'd be what you are today. That was 30 years ago. 
You don't know me today. You think I'm stupid now? You knew 15-year-old me. You knew 16-year-old me. You knew the me that did good to get up in the morning. So you don't know me today. So when you see me today and you think about then that was a different life ago. That was three lives ago. You don't know that person anymore. So yes, you only live once, but you live many lives in that lifetime. And the problem is we decide to stay the same instead of putting in the work that we can put in to make ourselves better. And the work is not easy because if it was easy, everyone would do it. See, the reason is, I think so many times I had this thought this week, the reason so many of us set out in areas of our life where we want to change and we fail is because we follow good intentions and not God intentions. We, we set out with something that looks good on paper, but maybe it's not what God wants for our lives. Good intentions versus God intentions. We set out maybe following what society says, and it sounds good and it looks good, but just maybe it's not what God intended for our lives. See, good intentions, they center around us. This is what I would like different about my life. This is what I want to see happen in my life. But God intentions are God-centered. This is what I know God wants for my life. This is what God has anointed in my life. This is what God has called for me to do in my life. This is what God has set apart for me in my life. See, God intentions are great intentions, and I've always said the enemy of great is good. Good means we settle and miss out on great. God has a great life for you. He has a life full of abundance for you. They don't hear the word abundance and think I'm just talking about finances. He has a life of abundance for you. He has a, he has a life that you were shaped for and created for. And that doesn't mean it will always be an easy life, but the center of God's will is the greatest place you can ever be, but it is also the most dangerous place you can ever be. That's the problem in the church nowadays. We say the center of God's will is a safe place. It is safe because God will protect you in it, but it's a dangerous place because it will get you outside of your comfort zone. God intentions. When I follow good intentions, I, I'm operating in my own strength, and my own resolve. When I have God intentions, then I'm at the point in my life where I'm relying fully on God's power in my life. So what I want to help us do today is quit making excuses. I don't know what it is that God has birthed in you. I don't know what it is that God wants to do in your life. I also know this, that God wants you to do in your life will change based on different seasons in your life. I am in a different season in my life or I am morphing over into a different season in my life. I went from four kids in the house all the time to I only have one kid in the house all the time and I only have him 50% of the time. So I'm 50% empty nester. That's an adjustment. It's weird to me. It's weird to me not to have kids running around. It's weird to me to know that there's not someone relying on us to feed them. 
It's weird to be like, oh, we can go out tonight. We don't got to find a babysitter. It's an adjustment. I didn't say it's a bad thing. It's just different. It's a different season. Christine is in that season now of being in an empty nester and being like, man, do I really like this guy I'm with? Because, man, I am with him a lot now. Can't get a break from him and go hang out with the kids. Just him. Our relationship has morphed into a comfortable place where she sits on one couch and I sit on the other and we send each other texts. And no kids interrupt us. It's amazing. But we're in different stages. So sometimes that vision in your life, it begins to morph. So I want to help you today to follow what God's called you to do and eliminate the excuses in the process. And I want to do that because I want to ask you a couple of questions today, and then I'm going to give you a, a couple of practical things you can do, and we're going to fly through this very quickly. I'm hungry, and I want to get out of here today. First question we're going to ask is, what does God want different about my life? You've got to get real honest with yourself here. As you step back and evaluate your life, what does God, the creator of the universe who loves you and has great plans for you, what does he want different about your life? I don't know, only you know that. But I would encourage you to figure it out. You say, how do I do that? Well, it's it's real easy. You get real quiet. You cut out some of the distractions in your life. You begin to prayerfully talk to God about what are the steps you want in his life at this moment. What God wants may be the very same thing you want. What God wants may be totally opposite than what you want. It might be something that is going to totally change the way you live. But think about it. What does God want for your life? Again, maybe for some of you, God really wants you to step out and start some type of ministry. You have a heart for whatever, and God wants you to do something that's going to impact those people. People ask me all the time, why don't we have a lot of ministries around here? We don't. We do Sunday morning service. That's what we do. That's what we do. Everything else that happens around here is because certain people in this church have a vision for those things. Someone said, why did we quit doing this? We quit doing this because the person who was doing this no longer had a desire to do it. I'm not taking it on. It's not my passion. Let me tell you something that you won't hear a lot of pastors tell you. I don't give two rips if we feed people without food. Don't care. If we never gave another drop of food out in this church, guess what? I'm going to go to sleep every night and get up every morning. Say, why? It's horrible. No, that's not my passion. No, I think it's great, and I love that we do it. But we do it because we have some people in this church that have a heart for it. I went to that lady, one of the ladies, the lady who leads that up this morning, said, hey, somebody messaged Christine this morning, and they need food. Immediately, she's like, oh, what do we need to do? I said, you need to go to Christine. I don't know. I didn't take the phone call. But I loved watching her get excited about helping people. I loved watching Bethesda Community Clinic the other day make a post about people. You know what I love about this church? I love that stuff happens around here, and I as the pastor don't even know that it happens. No, I love that. I'm not even being funny. They made some post the other day about the clinic, and I guess some people, I don't even know who it was, to be honest with you. I guess some people from our church came down here while the clinic was happening and decided they were going to give out food to people in need during that time. Awesome. Awesome. You know why they did that? It was their passion. 
I love that every Friday and Saturday night, two of the largest AA meetings in the county meet in this building. I've never been down here for one of those meetings, and they've met here for almost 10 years. People show up at church all the time like, hey, how'd you hear about the church? I went to the AA meeting. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot. We have an AA meeting. person who runs that AA meeting doesn't even attend this church. I love that. Guess what? If I had to run that AA meeting, it'd shut down because I don't, I don't give two rips about it. Not my passion. I love that every Monday Bethesda Community Clinic is out here and they're offering free medical care to those in need. But guess what? If they decided next week they're never meeting here again, guess what? I sleep like a baby. It's not my passion. Say, Gary, what's your passion? Here's my passion. To get up and teach on Sunday morning in a way that those who don't do church understand the word of God. That's my passion. That's what I do. That's what gets me going. So here's the beautiful thing, though. The Bible says we're the body of Christ. So when everyone is doing what they're called to do, the body becomes whole. Some of you are the fingers. Some of you are the feet. Some of you are the nose. Some of you are the ears. Some of, I guess I'm the mouth, I don't know, in this body. A lot of you around here are the ass. Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. We all have our role, and when we're all operating in our role, the body functions amazingly. So you know what you're passionate about doing. People come to me and say, you know what we ought to start? No, no, we ain't starting anything. My plate's full. What do you want to start? If you want to start it, here's what I've got for you. I've got 32,500 square feet of building you can use. I've got people that will probably come along and have the same passion as you and be willing to help you. I will be more than willing to offer you advice as someone who's been in ministry 25 years on how to be efficient at that. But I ain't doing it. This is my passion. If I lost this church tomorrow, I'd be in my living room letting whoever wanted to come over. If it was three people, they could come over and I'd be teaching them the Bible in a simple way. I'd set up my camera phone, I'd be on Facebook Live teaching the Bible in a simple way because that's what I'm passionate about because when I started going to church, I didn't understand the Bible because the pastor preached in a way I didn't understand. There's a lot of smarter pastors than me. There's no one who can take the Word of God and make it more simple than me. If you want to go deep, we're, at the wrong, we're the wrong church for you. It's that simple. We don't apologize for that. I always say we're the lobby. When church come in, they hang out in the lobby, they realize the Word of God, and they move on. Cool. It's our passion. It's not our passion to have the biggest church in town. I've already pastored the biggest church in town. I started the biggest church in this town. Been there, done that, got the scars to prove it. It doesn't impress me. Someone asked me the other day, said, why don't you move your sign down? I said, why would I waste $1,000 to move the sign? That's $1,000 we can feed people with or clothes people with. The sign's there. You know where to go. You get in the parking lot, it's pretty obvious where to come in. That kind of stuff just doesn't mean anything to me. I just want to create a place for those who don't know God who've maybe been burned by the church, don't feel welcome the church and come and realize they're loved right where they are. But what does God want different about your life? You've got to prayfully think about that. Maybe it's something that God wants you to give of yourself to somebody else. I don't know what it is, but you do. Maybe you know that for the next few years of your life, God wants you to pull back, stop what you're doing, and invest in the spirituality of your children. The Bible says you train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. The problem is we're trying to raise children. You raise goats. You don't raise children. You train children. Let me, let, me, let me say that louder for some of you in the back. The reason you got so many problems with your children 
It's because you're raising children instead of training children. Let me tell you the goal in parenting. To raise up your kids to leave. So how do I know I failed at a parent? Look around, see if they're adult kids and they're still hanging around. That doesn't mean the kids don't go through hard times and don't need to be around sometimes. And mom and dad's always there. Goal from to leave. Can't listen. When the when Luke's gone, one bedroom tiny home. Boom. Oh, you need to come home. Sorry, we only got one bedroom. You can't come home. Sorry. I got one-eighth of an acre. I can't even put a camper back there. Sorry, nowhere to go. Leave. What does God want different in my life? What is it that you believe God wants different about your life? Maybe, maybe what you know God wants is dictated by what you've been through. That's the great thing. God will take your biggest mess and turn it into your biggest ministry. I don't know what you've been through. You say, man, you're beating yourself up about what you've been through. No, 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 no. God said, I took you through that where I could use you. What does God want to use you for? Some of you already know what it is. You've just been avoiding it. Write it down. Some of you need to get alone this week. Over the next couple of weeks, you need to ask some people that are close to you and say, man, what do you see God speaking in my life? The Bible talks about wise counsel all the time. You need to figure out what does God want different about your life? The second question, though, I think this one's key. It's not only important to know what God wants different about your life, but ask yourself this, why does God want this different? in your life? Why does God want this different in your life? When you connect the spiritual why with the spiritual what, there's a power and motivation in those things that will eliminate the excuses on why you can't do it. The reason you have excuses is so many of you don't know the what of what God wants. And then not only do you not know what the what is, you don't know the why of why God wants you there. I really believe God wants me to get into better shape. Why? Well, I'm not fat. Eh, Probably. Or maybe it's because God wants you to get in better shape where you can enjoy the later years of your life serving him. Maybe God wants you to get better shape because, man, he said your body is a temple and he wants you to take care of it. What does God want you to do and why does God want you to do it? God wants me to get my finances in order. Why? Where I can go buy a boat. I get it. There's nothing wrong with having a boat. But maybe God wants you to get your finances in order so when you see a need that needs to be met, You don't got to live with the guilt that you financially can't help with that need. Maybe he wants you to get your finances in order where you can make a difference. People say, money can't bring happiness. I get it, but let me tell you something. What money can do, it can change the world. It's a tool. It's a tool that our world runs by. And so many of you can't follow your dreams and chase your visions and do what you feel led to. Some of you can't even leave a relationship you're in because your finances are such thing, you're literally a prisoner. You say that? I said it. One of the greatest freedoms you will ever experience in life is financial freedom. And when you have financial freedom, it opens up all the other avenues of freedom. Financial freedom leads to relational freedom. Financial freedom... Lives to, leads to 
career freedom. Financial freedom allows me to do what God called me to do without fear of losing what I have. You think financial freedom is not important? Then why do you think Satan goes after your finances? Why do you think we live in a world that talks about getting in bondage financially? Charge it. Go buy what you can't afford to impress people you don't even like with something you didn't even need. Mm, I'm having fun today if nobody else is. Financial freedom is game-changing. But you got to know the why. I don't want to be financially free where I can have a bigger house. I want a smaller house. I told you, one bedroom where no kids can come back. Maybe two where the grandkids can come one day. Maybe. Depends on how good they are. They bad, they ain't coming. They come for a couple hours and they're going back home. I believe God wants me to be a better spouse the person I'm with. Why? Just to keep peace in the house. Eh, maybe. Or maybe to lead by example to your kids. Let me tell you why so many of your kids are going to have bad relationships growing up because they saw you in bad relationships. Oh, by the way, king of not good relationships, so I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you. So don't think I'm beating you up today. You want to know why your daughters let their boyfriends treat them like crap? Because they watch your husband, the person you're married to, their dad treats you like crap. Man, you want to know why so many of your boys grow up entitled and treat women like crap? Because they watch you do it. So what's the excuse today? Someone's got to break that cycle. So what does God want for me and, and why does God want it? Why does God want it? What is it that the God of the universe wants different for you in your life? We need to remember that if God is for you, who can be against you? That when you set out and you live a God-centered life, it might not always be easy, but he will never leave you nor forsake you. It's a very spiritual reason behind the whys of what God wants for you. God wants us wise with our stewardship of our time, our talents, our treasures. When you begin to live a God-centered life, instead of a good-centered life, it's game-changing because it becomes about others. So let me give you a newsflash. It's not about you. <laughs> Anybody that knows me knows that was a very hard lesson for me in life. I still struggle with it a little bit. I have to remind myself all the time, it's not about me. It's about the bigger picture. It's about what God wants. When we're living that life that way. I love the story. I've, I've shared this story a thousand times in the Old Testament over in Exodus. It's Moses, and Moses is called to lead the people out of um, slavery, and God comes to him and tells him the what. Now, I don't know about you, but if God came to me directly in a burning bush like he did Moses and told me what, I like to think I would do it, but the reality is Moses didn't. He came up with excuses. I probably would too. Because we all come up with excuses on why we can't do something. 
So God said, I want you to come along and I want you to go set my people free. And immediately, immediately, Moses comes up with excuses. Exodus 4.10, Moses said to the Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. He says, you want me to go to Pharaoh? You want me to go to the king and tell him to set the people free? I can't, I can't even hardly talk. You know, when God told me to start this church, and I know that I know that I know God told me to start this church, my first reaction is, God, I can't start the church. You don't remember what I just went through? God, how about this? I bar- Anybody ever bargain with God? I, I God, I'll start another church in another town where they don't know what I did. Because, you know, there's no such thing as Google. Um, I ain't starting to hear God. God, I think you got your wires crossed. Now I look back over the last 10 years and all the people that have been baptized here and all the marriages that have been restored here and all the addicts that have got clean here and all the people that have been fed here and all the homeless that have had a place to stay at night here and all the, 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 the addicts that have met over there, man, when they were at the end of their rope and had nowhere to go. And I think to myself, what had we not done what God told us to do? When you eliminate the excuses, God stands up. He says, I'm not eloquent. I don't, I don't like public speaking. But I like what God said to him. Verse 11. He, the, he, the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? In other words, God was looking at Moses saying, Hey, I've given you the what. I've given you the why. You can have excuses all day long, but I'm God and you're not. I know it sounds so Baptisty and so cliche, but listen, listen, listen. God will never lead where he don't feed. God will never guide where he don't provide. God will never send you somewhere where he's not already written a check that's going to get you through. God will not call you to do something great and leave you on an island by yourself. If God's called you to do something, God will get you through that something. That doesn't mean you won't have criticism for it. That doesn't mean you won't get abused for it. That doesn't mean you won't mess up along the way doing it. But where God leads you, he will see you through it. I've said this verse in Isaiah 100. He said, I go before you and I make the crooked places straight. The greatest thing you can do is follow God because he will never lead you wrong. He said, I gave you the ability to talk, so don't tell me you can't speak. He said, God, I don't know that I'm skilled enough to do what you're calling me. He said, I gave you, I gave you those talents. Go do it. I believe if you can answer those two questions, what does God want me to do? And why does God want me to do it? You can change your life and begin the process of eliminating excuses. But, 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 but Gary, I can already hear. You don't understand. But, 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 but. I don't care. I don't even mean that in a sweet way. I mean it in the mean way that it sounded. I don't care. Because here's the deal. If you don't do what God told you to do, it don't affect me. The Bible says every man must give an account for himself. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to do what God told us to do, even if no one else understands it. But you're missing out on the life that God created you for. 
You're missing out on what God wants for you. Look what he says in verse 12. He said, I created, I gave you something to say. He says, now go. That don't sound like a suggestion. We don't serve a God of suggestions. Go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Give you two things. How do we start today? How do we start today? First thing we're going to do is we're going to do what you can do now. I don't know what God's called you to do. You might not have all the answers now. You might not have all the plan now. You might not be able, you want to get your finances in order. It's not going to happen overnight. You didn't get in debt overnight. You're not going to get yourself physically in shape overnight. That's always my issue. I want it to happen in three days. I thought about doing meth just to lose weight for a little while, but I come from a family of addicts and I'd probably get addicted. I can't believe you said that. I'm just being honest. I got pretty strong teeth. I've never had a cavity. I think I'd be good if I did it real short term. I've thought about this. Get skinny and then quit. If anybody knows me, I got an addictive personality. Next thing I'd be the biggest junkie in town. I'd be like out in the gutter. Y'all be taking care of me. I'm not coming back to this church. Well, that's fine. You're going to do what you can today. He told Moses, Go. Now go. I don't know what it is you can do today, but you can take the first step today. The first step today. Maybe you need healing in that relationship. It's not going to heal overnight. Took you a lot of years of hurt to ruin it. Take the first step. Maybe there's going to be no healing in that relationship, and this is hard. Maybe the first step is to get out of that relationship. I didn't expect any amens on that. I get it. That's a tough one. You've got the rest of your life to live. We're going to go. Some of you already know what God wants you to do. You're going to do it. You're going to take that first step. For some of you, you're going to do what you can do now. All you can do now is figure out what God wants you to do. You're going to make that a priority in your life. You're going to figure out what it is God wants for you. Life changes at a crazy pace, and I believe that. I've never been a three-year, five-year, ten-year person, but you're going to figure out what do you want your life to look like in the next 12 months? What do you want your life to look like in the next 36 months? What do you want your life to look like? I think about sometimes Luke's in sixth grade. I got six more years what I want my life to look like when he's gone. Because he's gone at 18. I'm telling y'all. Empty nester. Them freaking kids ain't ever going to leave, probably. I just feel good to talk about it right now. Like, it makes me feel tough. Like I'm going to throw Emily out or something. You're going to do what you can do now. Check it out. You're going to trust God to do what you cannot do. You're going to trust God. <laughs> you know, I've learned it's really easy to trust God in areas that I feel pretty confident in. It's really not trust. It's easy for me to trust God in the areas that I really know that I've got control of. It's hard to trust him in the areas that I don't have control of. Put that verse back up, verse 12, Xander. Now go, so we're going to do what we can do now. He said, I will help you speak and I will teach you. He said, I will do for you what you cannot do. But you've got to go. You've got to take the step, and when you get there in the darkness... He'll provide the light. The problem with us is we want the next 10 steps, and God said, nope, 
take the next step. And when you take the next step, I'm going to light up the next step. And when you take that step, I'm going to light up the next step. If you can see 20 steps ahead, you don't need faith. And if you don't need faith, you don't need a God. Or, you can make excuses. You can keep doing what you've been doing and keep getting what you've been getting. But the reality is, you're miserable getting what you've been getting. What's the definition of insanity? Do the same thing over and over and over and over and over, expecting a different result? Some of you are insane. Do you ever run into someone five, six years later and you're kind of blown away that the same person they were five or six years ago? Not that there was anything even wrong with them, but just that they never changed, they never evolved. They're just the same person dealing with the same arguments and the same complaints and the same struggles because they never grew. I don't ever want to quit growing. You've got to eliminate the excuses. Keep doing what you've been doing. You keep getting what you've been getting. And the reality is most of you are miserable with what you're getting. You're losing at life. And you can't win because of excuses. 